Welcome back to Calvary Baptist Church of Burbank. Um, last time uh, that we did a video devotional, we were in John chapter 2, uh, and we went back and we looked at Psalm 69, uh, the passage that um, is quoted from here in John 2, is, uh, with the, the phrase, zeal for your house will consume me. And it's that house that we're going to look at a little bit more now. Um, so um, I'm assuming that um, we uh, are familiar with the passage now. If you're, this is the first video devotional of ours you've ever watched, you may want to go back and look at the last one and where I read out fully the, the passage. As we go back to that passage now, um, I simply want to make reference to uh, John 2 verse 14 and following. Jesus goes into the temple. He turns over the, the tables and gets rid of the, um, the money changers and the oxen and the sheep and the pigeons and those who are making money in the court of the Gentiles. And verse 16, he says, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, to fully understand where I'm going with this, because it may be a little bit controversial, but to fully understand it, we need to kind of go back a little bit. We need to go back and we need to understand that in the prologue of John's Gospel, we have, um, we have really the, the, the foundation um, for everything that's going to come in the Gospel. All the main themes are found in, in, in the prologue. And I've referenced the prologue a couple of times before in these devotionals, such a key passage of scripture overall. But in the, in the prologue of John, John uh, chapter 1, um, it speaks about um, uh, the incarnation of Jesus in, in verse 14. The Word, so in the beginning was the Word, chapter 1, verse 1, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So the Word always was, He didn't become. But then in verse 14, he became something he wasn't. He, he was there from eternity past, but he became something at a point in history. And what he became was flesh. The word became flesh and he dwelt amongst us. And, and the word dwell here literally uh, means he, he tabernacled amongst us. It's a, it's a transliteration. It's a taking of the Hebrew word tabernacle and, and putting Greek letters to it. He, he tabernacled amongst us. So to say that he dwelt amongst us doesn't just mean that he was with us. It means that he was a tabernacle, like, like the temple. And, and the key thing to understanding this is, is simply this, that in the Old Testament, God did not indwell those who were believers like he does in the New Testament. But rather, God was not in them. He was with them because he was in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. So God dwelt in the tabernacle. God dwelt in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, in the holy place. And because he was there in their geographical vicinity, he was with them. And so the Ark of the Covenant would go before them into battle because that's where God dwelt. God was with them in that sense. And so when it says that he became flesh and he tabernacled amongst us. What it's essentially doing is, is far more than just saying that Jesus became a human and he was with us on earth. It, it's saying something deeply theological. It's saying that Jesus took the role of the temple. Now, if you follow the history of the temple, when the, the tabernacle was inaugurated at the end of the book of Exodus, there's this whoosh and there's this rush and the glory of God fills the tabernacle um, as God comes in and takes his place in the Holy of Holies. 
Then in, in First Kings, when the temple is complete, we see the similar kind of process, that there is this whoosh and there's this, this rushing of the glory and the presence of God as he comes in to dwell in the temple so that he could be with his people. The book of Ezekiel tells us that because of the sins of the people of Israel, that the, the Spirit of God left the temple that he departed through various stages, and it's beyond the scope of what we're doing now, but he, he basically left. And that's why when the Babylonians came into the temple and they destroyed the temple, and they, they went in and they, they didn't come to the Holy of Holies and were consumed by the presence of God. Why? Because God wasn't there. He'd left because of the sins of the people. And when the temple was then rebuilt, Haggai talks about the fact that there was sadness amongst the few who could remember the former temple because the glory of the former temple was not in the rebuilt temple. And partly that's because it was a lesser building uh, architecturally at that stage in a physical sense. But there is also the implication that it was lesser in the sense of the glory of God. But Haggai prophesies in Haggai chapter 2 that the glory of this temple would be greater than the glory of the previous temple. Now, from a, from a physical, architectural perspective, that was true when, as I said last time, Herod made this new temple a monument to himself with all these expansions and what have you, and that became true. The moment that it became true spiritually is here in John chapter 2. When Jesus walks into the temple, now God is once again in the temple. Jesus came and he tabernacled amongst us. It's not that God's presence came directly into the temple, but rather that God went into the temple of Jesus's body, the tabernacle of Jesus's body, and then Jesus came into the temple. And that's really what John 1 verse 14 is saying. And so it says the word became flesh, dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory Glory is the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the grace and truth here is, is, a, uh, is a translation originally into the Greek from the Hebrew concept of what we saw in Psalm 69 last time, that parallel covenant expression of love and faithfulness, steadfast love and faithfulness. These two words that are used to express the faithfulness of God in his covenants, the love of God in his covenants. And here in the New Testament, in this expression in John, which is, and again, it's beyond the scope of this study, but, but it's clearly referencing uh, Exodus 33 and 34 and the God revealing his glory to Moses. And you can go and look at the, that passage. But what it's saying here is that God showed his glory through the incarnate Jesus Christ. And that this glorious Christ was full of grace and truth. That steadfast love, grace, and that faithfulness, truth, you're wondering how faithfulness and truth are the same thing. If someone says, I am going to do this, and they do it, that is true, and that is expressed in faithfulness. That's the link between the two conceptually. And so Jesus is the fullest expression of God's covenant-keeping love. He's the fullest expression of God's covenant-keeping love. Now, you need to understand that as much as John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, 
as much as that is a statement of the deity of Jesus Christ, to say that Jesus is the fullest expression of covenant-keeping love, which is the very thing that defined Yahweh and distinguished him from all other gods, all other spiritual beings, is as much a declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ as John 1. 1. Jesus, his glory is seen in him fully revealing God's covenant love. Fully seen. Now, as we look at this then, Jesus being that full expression, this is the glory of God being shown. And we could talk more about the glory, but we probably shouldn't. We should probably move on. But suffice to say, just, just as an aside, I find it fascinating that the transfiguration, which is where this 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 covering, this tabernacling of Jesus was temporarily lifted so that his his glory could be seen, that that is found in Matthew, it's found in Mark and it's found in Luke, but it's not found in John's gospel. And yet John is one of the few who was allowed up to see it. Why would John, who's talking about glory, not mention the one time when you could see Jesus's glory? Because here in verse 14, I think it's clear that for John, the glory of Jesus Christ is seen not in the Mount of Transfiguration, but in him showing and revealing his covenant-keeping character, which ultimately, of course, is seen on the cross. And that's why in John 13, that uh, will be there in a second, but in John 13, Jesus talks about now the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What time is that? That's the time that Jesus is now on his way to the cross, because the cross is where the glory is seen because the cross is where we see that Jesus is a faithful covenant keeping God. He is the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh of the Old Testament. So with all of that as background, in John chapter 2, in verse 16, when we see that Jesus comes and he tabernacles amongst us and he's full of grace and truth, then um then when we come to John chapter 2 and we see that Jesus says, you know, destroy this temple and I will raise it again up in three days. And it says he's speaking about his body. He was speaking about the temple of his body. And we see this expression, this introduced to us in this early stage of John's gospel, that the temple is now Jesus's body. Now, before we press on, there's one more thing in the prologue that we need to see, just a couple of verses on. It says that from his fullness in verse 16, that's the fullness of grace and truth, the fullness of covenant keeping love. From his fullness, we have received grace. And most versions at this point say upon grace. Now, the preposition translated upon in its most common and normal usage actually means in place of replacing something. You know, like, you know, I have a book here, a Bible here. I'm going to replace it with another Bible. You know, that, that, that you have one thing and now you replace it with another. When it says grace upon grace, we have the idea of, look, I have a Bible here and now I've got another one. Now I've got two Bibles. But in reality, the most the most common way of understanding this preposition is, is one of replacement rather than addition. And I think that's how it should be translated and understood here. And the idea is, is that. From God's covenant keeping heart, from the fullness of grace and truth, we have received grace in place of existing grace. 
And I think that this is a reference here to the grace that came through Moses. And I think that contextually that's clear. The very next verse says, for, explanation of verse 16, the law was given through Moses and grace and truth, there's that repetition, came through Jesus Christ. In other words, God's covenant keeping love was seen in the law given by Moses, the covenant made with Moses, the old covenant. But a far greater grace has come to replace that grace. And that is the, the grace that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ and the inauguration of the new covenant. Now, that's really crucial because if that is the theme, as I think everything in the prologue is of John's gospel, then when we come here to Jesus as the temple, he's introducing a theme that he is then going to develop. Because as much as Jesus as a temple is the theme of John's gospel, this transition from grace to grace, from old covenant to new covenant, from, from a grace of Moses to the grace of Jesus Christ, that, that this is also a key theme. So in the time of Moses, there was the inauguration of the tabernacle, there was the temple, and there was God dwelling with his people. And that's how, as I've said, it was seen in Old Testament times, that God was with his people through the indwelling in the temple and the tabernacle. And a little bit later on in John's Gospel, Jesus says to the disciples that the Spirit of God is, uh, is with them, but he will be in them. The Spirit of God is with them, but he will be in them. And so there is this, um, this communication of a transition that for, for the disciples, they're currently in an old covenant context where the spirit of God is with them because he's indwelling the temple, the tabernacle. Now, in a sense, that's a newer thing because that hasn't been the truth for Israel for centuries. But now that Jesus is the temple, there is a spirit filled temple again. God's presence is with them again. But Jesus says it's going to be this transition, grace upon grace, grace in place of grace. There's going to be this transition. And the transition is going to be is that the spirit that is now with them will be in them. Or as Jesus later on says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Now we know where this is going. Because as Christians we're familiar with Paul talking about. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That as Jesus is a temple indwelt by the presence of God. So we are temples indwelt by the presence of God. But what John's gospel is doing is showing us this transition from old to new covenant. From grace being replaced by grace. Why is all of this relevant to John 2? Because John 2 says... Do not make my father's house a house of trade. That expression father's house in the context clearly can only refer to one thing, the temple. It can only refer to the temple. They're in the temple. The animals are in the temple. The house of trade is the temple. And they've made the temple, the father's house, a house of trade. That's not good. Now let's turn to John 14. Turn to John chapter 14. This is where it gets a little bit controversial. At the end of chapter 13, verse 31, when he had gone out, he referencing Judas, pardon me, Judas, Judas is betraying him. Uh, the previous verse, verse 30, he goes out and it's night. The man of darkness goes into darkness. Light and darkness are themes of John as well, introduced in the prologue as well. And then it says in verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. 
And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. That's five glorifies in just that short verse. Five glorifies. Why? Because that's the central thing. The cross is now going to happen. Judas is going to betray him. He's going to the cross and Jesus is going to be glorified. And the father is going to be glorified through the glorifying of Jesus. And as we know from John already, this is going to happen through the, the demonstration of the fullness of grace and truth, of love and faithfulness, of God's covenant keeping heart. And that's going to happen on the cross. And then he says to them, um, he says, uh, you little children, uh, yet a little while I'm with you. This is end of verse th uh, chapter 13 as well, again. Um, and just as I said to the Jews, so I now say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this all people know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now we're already familiar with that verse. But here's something really interesting. He's giving a new commandment. He's making it very specific. You have commandments, but here's a new commandment. The commandments that they had were part of the old covenant. They had to keep every single one of them. And Jesus is now giving them a new covenant. And a new commandment. There's new commandments for the new covenant. This is part of this transition from grace to grace. From old to new covenant that we're seeing here contextually. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, where well, I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you'll follow afterwards. And he says, Lord, cannot follow you now, I'll lay down my life. And then he's told that he will betray him, he'll deny him three times. Now in that context, what is the context? Two things, Peter's going to deny him, Jesus is going to go away. It's necessary for Jesus to say, let not your hearts be troubled, chapter 14 and verse 1. And then he says this, believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, there needs to be this genuine faith that they have in them. It's not sufficient for them to, to panic. They've got to trust and have that faith in God. Jesus says, I'm going to go. Still trust me. You're going to deny me. Still trust me. And then he says this, verse 2. It's a well-known verse. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. That verse has been used for centuries for countless times for funerals. It's the most common verse used in funerals. And you say to people, John chapter 14, verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. What is he talking about? And everybody will say, heaven. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Because we're told very clearly by John what the father's house is in chapter 2. The father's house is the temple. That's what the father's house is. And you say, well, that can't be the case. He's talking about going away, he's going to heaven, and he's preparing a place for them in heaven. Surely that's what's going on. No, it's not. Because it says he's going to come back to them. I myself will come again, verse 3. And then as he goes on and he talks about them, he talks about Jesus, he says the expression, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, show us the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That is that... Again, it's linked to the prologue. It's linked to this, this, this expression of the fullness of grace and truth. But everything that goes on in these following verses is about how they are going to be on earth. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father and he'll send you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. When are they going to receive the spirit of truth? In heaven or on earth? On earth. The whole context is earth. The preparation is preparation for them 
to be able to live according to his will to keep his commandments on earth. That's the preparation. So let's go with this for a while. Let go, let's go with my hypothesis. If the father's house here refers to the temple, then how can this be so? The temple, father's house, has many rooms. First of all, that's just wrong. There's one room in the temple that is significant. I mean, the temple had the court of the Gentiles and the various you know, inner parts and what have you. But the room that mattered in the temple was the Holy of Holies. That's where God dwelt. That's where the presence of God dwelt. That's the room. And what he's saying now is something quite radical. He's saying my father's house has many rooms. What's going on here? Chapter 2, which previously referenced my father's house, has introduced us to that concept. The father's house in chapter 2 is the temple, right? Jesus goes into the temple. My father's house, he references, in the temple. And then by the end of that passage, he says the temple of his body. You see, in chapter 2, there is this transition between the physical temple... And the body is the temple. And right smack bang in the middle of that passage, bookended by these two references to temple, is the expression, my father's house. So here, when the expression, my father's house, comes back up again, we're now on this journey of transitioning from grace to grace. We're on this journey from old to new covenant. And what we're seeing here is the temple, father's house, of the new covenant. And in this temple, there is not going to be a single holy of holies. There's going to be many rooms. And what Jesus is doing is going to prepare that. Because by Jesus going to his death on the cross and then sending the Holy Spirit, he builds a new temple. What's his temple in John chapter 2? The temple is his body. And what is his body today? The body of Christ is the church. And the church has many a holy of holies. You're a holy of holy. I'm a holy of holy. We are individually temples because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul says to the Corinthians. But more importantly, we as the church are the body of Christ, the temple of God with many rooms, many believers, all indwelling with the Holy Spirit. With the Spirit of God dwelling within us. As we spoke about a few video devotionals ago with our reference to, to Joel 2 and to Acts 2. And we have the Spirit of God within us. And so this new Father's house is the new temple, which is the church. And so, in John chapter 14, let me controversially suggest to you that Jesus is not talking about preparing a place for believers in heaven. Rather, he is saying... I am going to go and make my church ready. I'm going to get my church ready because what Christ is going to accomplish on this earth, he is not going to do through through accomplishments um, that are constantly, continually being done in heaven. But rather, Christ is going to do his will on earth through his body, his church, his temple. And that's what he went to prepare. And so there was no need to fear because Jesus was going to prepare the church, which became true in Acts chapter 2 with the sending of this, this helper referenced in John 14, the Holy Spirit, who will enable us to do 
And, and, and then again, just look, look at this for, for context. That is this passage that says, at the end of this section in John 14, he comes to verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. There's a verse out of context that's been horrendously abused by the health, wealth and prosperity people. You want a Ferrari? You pray for a Ferrari. If you have enough faith, God will give you a Ferrari. Nonsense. In the context of this passage, it's about Jesus preparing a place for us, building his new temple, his new body, not the body of his flesh, which is going to go. He has to go. His body has to die so that he can have his new body, which is the church, which is given by the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is a church, a church who is able to do the works of Christ because Christ is now working on this earth through his church and the things that he wants to do in his name for his character's sake to to show who he is he will do through his church this verse doesn't mean that we get what we want this verse is talking about us doing things in the name of jesus that for his sake and for his purposes we the church will be accomplishing his will that's what's being spoken of and so with all of that context with the referencing back to to John chapter 2, I suggest to you that the Father's house in John 14 is the temple. Not the physical temple that we started with in John 2, but John has taken us on this journey where we go from the temple that is the building to the temple that is Jesus' body to the temple that is the church. And that's a glorious truth. And you know what? I'm not taking away the glories of heaven. I'm giving you a greater glory. Because ultimately, God is going to do his work through us on earth before we go to be with him in heaven. And our ultimate location is to be back here on earth in glorified bodies, as he promises in the end. You know, this idea that don't you worry, I'm going to go and prepare a place away in heaven. That's not half as glorious as God saying, I'm going to use people like you to do my will here on earth. And there on this on earth, you will exist with me and share in my glories forever. God bless.